Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Hello, everybody. This is Tim Montgomery. I'll be your host today's show, New Cyber Frontier. And today we have uh, Dr. Chris Gorog online with us. Um, before I know you, you guys have seen him as the host here on New Cyber Frontier. And we're going to congratulate him on um, on getting his doctorates finally. About time, Chris. Um, and so, so we're going to take a little bit of, of, of kind of dynamics and dive some into his dissertation that he, uh, you know, mercifully had to go through relentless uh, scrutiny to get published. Um, this thing is pretty large. I think it's 415 pages. I saw that, and it's it's published out there. And maybe we could put the link out there somewhere. Um, so people could see it. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the craziness that you that has ensued for you over the last few years about your dissertation and what that feels like about accomplishment. So Dr. Gorog. Yeah, you know what? And thank you uh, for that, Tim. And the Dr. Gorog is, I've only had that a couple of times now. So it's a, it's a new realization. Every time I hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's me. So, but um it has been some time, and like you said, with that little bit of sarcastic remark, kind of, it's about time. Um, I think I've been working on this for seven years, but you know, yeah. I enjoyed it that much. Let's put it that way, that I spent that much time because the detail and the continued work, um, and so many people like Tim that I met as a process of this, and we worked together over the years, that have oh, yeah. been a part of of working on the teams and groups. That it's almost like I don't know what if it's all going to continue now. I want it to, but I don't want it to end. So it's been a ride like that where it has just uh, been great putting together kind of a a whole uh, new thought process. We'll say a philosophy, a PhD, doctorate of philosophy, uh, and we're going to start talking about my philosophy in terms of of cybersecurity and what that looks like. And so much of it we took from listeners and people that 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 we talk to that's what my endless questions i asked were all about trying to find out all the pieces all the needs how everybody else views this animal this industry so we could all have a you know a good collection of what everybody kind of puts into this but also you know some suggestions here and there about what we can take out of it and what we can move forward with and i'd like to think that that that's what the, the combination of all this work and the, the the kind of the publications, which are the first major scale publication of what we've done at University of Colorado. Um, and it's been a program sponsored by the state, funded by many different entities. We've had 42,000 hours of volunteer work on projects just uh, because it's, it's such an exciting time to see some things that, hey, this is a potential of, of being a game changer. Let's see how we can make it work and how we can all benefit from that so i sometimes i talk too much but i'm excited it's about fun. what the future right looks like uh, you, you spent seven years on, on such a thing <laughs> so i could imagine uh you're itching to, to have a comment or two in there um 
Yeah, so let's kind of dive into the perspective of today's culture, I guess you could say the philosophy of today's cybersecurity. Um, I mean, I know that you wrote this in uh, concert with, you know, kind of the concepts of today. And like you said, you you set on, uh, we, we do a lot of podcasts, we get a lot of commentary, we get a lot of input, things like that. And I'm sure that's kind of, um, kind of, trended the way you thought about things as well as those types of inputs on top of your own experiences. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of colleagues out there that had some input into it. Um, your company is getting growing pretty big now. Um, there's an awful lot of people, like you said, about uh, through through this process, you've you met me. Uh, we've, we've gone a pretty long ways together on some of this stuff, um, but you've definitely ventured into it a lot. So Let's get into the concept of, you know, today's culture of cybersecurity and where that kind of stands and what type of impacts that uh, this this type of thing that you're discussing, we're discussing about your dissertation components there um, and how that might be, as we get deeper and deeper, how that might be an integral piece that changes the mindset of such culture. Yeah. So with that, you know, let's talk a little bit about the culture here. And cybersecurity today, at least for me, um, we talk about concepts of constant compliancy measures and the money, the amount of money that ends up evolving from that um, is can be um, taxing on a company. And so small companies have essentially um, impact greatly from it. So I know as the NIST standards have trended, you know, these factors have, have started factoring in and they've had a trend to certain things, especially with contracts with governments. So, I mean, in your particular situation, you do more with the um, the um, academics and things like that. So where do you see these types of things trending to from those perspectives? There's three of them there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd say that you're right. I mean, billions of dollars spent on compliance. Um, that is kind of the, the, the current philosophy about, about cybersecurity. Um, and that has a cyclic kind of trend to it where, and it literally seems to be about every three years, we come up with a whole new compliance structure. You know, we started, I remember DICAP and then we went to RMF. Yep. Um, and then we went to, um, was, was after that, the NIST 171. And then three years later, the, the CMMC. And now we're yep. looking at the zero trust and the new rollouts and, and every, and, and uh, I think a cybersecurity engineering is now the, the talks in, in the Department of Energy and, and up at the tops of the United States. So we're we're looking at this cyclical trend where each one of these is, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of things we have to comply with, and it changes every three years. So how do we keep up with that? The small startups they just don't. They're the highest risk people in the world, the biggest risk takers. They're making their own company. They're starting things from the ground up, and then you have the most cost of you know costly thing they could do is cybersecurity. And the most uncertain, whatever you do now is going to change in three years. We just, just don't do it. So it's you take the risk of what happens when you get big enough to be like everyone else and have something that has value that now you can start protecting. Yeah, academics, uh, a lot of times you'll see they kind of fall in that same plate of uh, small business realm. Um, they're essentially a little different from what the mainstream cybersecurity methods that are being used to most of the uh, organizations today. So you can see them kind of trend differently. And most industries have e have their own uniqueness too, as yeah. you know, throughout the time we've seen. Um, so it, it certainly, 
the dynamics have certainly put there. If you want to put another dynamics in there, we talk about digital transformations and how that the landscape is consistently changing, you know, mm -hmm. between shaping the processes of business and strategies. So, I mean, it, it, what are the essential components that you think that would be in the digital transformation yeah. and how that contributes to reshape in those yeah, types that, that's of things? A, in accordance to sorry that you know that's the digital transformation i'm excited about that one it, it is really in the last couple of years how much of our efforts are physical world things anymore yeah. companies entire organizations maybe even governments in the future uh, whole countries won't have anything physical we're trying to say how can we transform everything into digital and then everything becomes these chunks of data data yeah. that we own control in a big group data that we mine and we find other things from it. We enrich it. We'll do whatever. Then we have to store it. We have all the requirements around that. Then, you know, what is an individual data target? What is that person or what is it about? Sometimes it's, it's, it's unknown or where it comes from is, is less important, but our wealth is data and organizations now have, you know, those lakes, the big pieces of data that are just, we'll say a data pool. Everything in the world is becoming a free pool of data. Should we have any individualization and individual rights there? Or is, are we just kind of going in that direction? Um, yeah. But it's if we're not... going to, to digital transformation, 100% digital, and the only people that can own data are the, the companies and organizations, yeah. what rights does somebody really have if they're just one person out there? Now, a lot of times the corporations usually have uh, like privacy rights, like an individual, you would, you reflect on that. Um, business processes usually look at, um, you know, perspectives from, from the individual versus customer shapes, uh, things of that nature and the way we do business is starting to trend into almost like a seamless method. And, uh, you know, there's particulars to IA and things of that nature that seem to uh, encompass this data that you're referring to. That is a different type of strategy for businesses and processes they use today. Uh, and we're seeing that trend even more to that, to that inspect. Um, and then the cloud, the, the, the infamous, uh, someone else's computer, right? This is the way they always say cloud is. Mm -hmm. um, and the facts that, uh, you know, that's where most of our data is getting, like you said, a giant pool. Um, you know, I guess within the next two years, this is the statistics that shows that 50% plus of everyone's data will naturally be in the cloud or the cloud atmosphere and environment uh, being controlled by one of the major three or four uh, cloud uh, service providers. So, I mean, you're right about the trend factors um, and a little bit about the range of data and examples of such extraction of data. So can you give me some, some of the factors in how that data uh, flows into the integral pieces for like AI or something of that nature? Yeah, the new thing, the, the buzzword is AI. Everything's turning yeah. AI. If you don't have AI in your name, or everybody just added AI to the end of their name, right? So they changed yeah. their URL to whatever they were doing before, .ai, and now yeah. they're an AI company. Um, and it's kind of like there was a little bit of eye roll there because, you know, we'll get to the point where we all see that it's just kind of a rebranding. And yeah. uh, we're trying to catch the latest buzzword and how, how fast does that happen. But AI is kind of the 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 engine feeds on free range data, data that is open to everybody and everybody's mm -hmm. data is open. 
um, publicly available profiles, you know, data generation without bounds is the, is the, is the kind of how we feel the direction is going. The, the philosophy currently is data is just going to be generated. All data is given away. Big companies have data. The creation of data from data is the value system. You can't do that if you're an individual. You have to be a, a big organization to have that, those collections that have value. Is that the trend forever would be something I kick back. What What do you think, Tim? Do we keep going that way without any stop? I don't know. I think, I think there's imposed factors when you talk about uh, such a uh, profound way to use data. Um, if, if, if everyone shares everything, I think there's good and bad to those things as always. I also think there's methods for privacy and protection that should be imposed. Um, and, and where does cybersecurity fit into the realm of, of just literally huge amounts of data flowing out as it is? Now, I know like with data mining and things of that nature, um, it's not just about personal, but it's also innovative ways to articulate something differently consuming such massive amounts of data. Uh, the other thing is that in AI, uh, we get into the human uh, part of this and how we were talking about the pool and uh, impact of the pool if massive amounts of data is impacted by m millions of people mm -hmm. uh, and, and then their thought processes, um, does it trend the wrong direction? And then mm -hmm. how does cyber get into that? So I think there's a lot of variables to concept like that. And you're, you're, we're talking about actually data in itself and its consumption of data. Yeah. Um, does it trend directly different? Does the AI actually know as a human knows the, you know, ethical pieces? How do you, you know, how does that imply to the massive pool of data? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, you know, still kind of looking at AI. Um, I recently, an organization here with, with the state of Colorado told me that, that, and this is secondhand information, but I heard it from somebody that, that put it out that they monitored a, you connect your Gmail account that you had for 10 years to chat GPT and basically yeah. over a session of a couple hours, six or eight hours of doing chat GPT, they evaluated how much their API was hit through their Gmail. And it was two gigabytes of information taken by chat GPT. What are they doing with that? So basically you sign up, connect your email and give them to the rights to index all your data. So this becomes you're, you're, you become part of the pool and everybody's now waiting in the same pool of data. AI's creating data and from that pool of data and putting it back into the pool. So it's kind of yeah. like if you have a bunch of people standing in the pool and, and or a bunch of kids will say, and they're, they're peeing in the pool. At what point does the pool become more pee than pool? Um, yeah, and and, and pool yet, right? <laughs> what is it that the future looks like? Cause right now, most data is produced by humans. The AI is kind of new. What's that going to look like in 10 years of AI producing data faster than a human could ever do times a hundred or more and putting it back into the pool? We, yeah. the yeah, big question here is the thing that we already don't know how to handle disinformation. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, it's just the there's... white elephant in the room. Yeah. The genuineness to the disinformation and how, over a period of time, it continually gets more disingenuous about the real information that's there as you uh -huh. get, the pool gets dirtier, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. More, more pee in the pool. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I, I heard, and this is, this kind of set me on the direction I'm at really. And it was back in, 
in the mid 2000s, I heard somebody, uh, a data scientist from MIT speak. I don't even remember the name of the person. Yeah. Um, and they had a PhD in data science and they basically said, we don't care about individual data anymore and we never will. All we care about is the pool of data and the ability to say, what is the, all the, 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 the other data items validate the ones that are wrong. So we just forget about the ones that are wrong. So the, so, the gradual poison the of the pool to make yeah. all the data wrong is, is something that we have ignored because our experts at the time took that trend and all of our industry and about data has gone in a direction that we don't care about individual data items. And now AI looks at the data like it might look at a herd of cattle, right? A herd yeah. of cattle has 10,453 legs. And, you know, how many heads does it have and how many horns does it have? And yeah. then if they're make and, and, and because the light shines on it differently, part of it looks like it's, it's in the shade and it looks purplish and another part looks like it has some, brown to it another part yeah. is black so now the average cow is 13 percent purple five percent black and has some green in it because there's a couple trees coming through the herd um and so eventually the ai makes a cow that has three legs three horns um four heads because it has an outlier it has to make and it puts that back into the pool and there's a little bit of green and purple in that cow that's the outlier cow so yeah. we we get the the continuous poisoning because we look at the data, the herd of cows as a collective and not an individual. And that's, you know, when it comes down to what has my work been about, what is my yeah. dissertation about is about that divide and the collectionist versus the individualist. And how can we start to have a new philosophy moving towards the individual empowerment of individual users, individual data pieces? How do we make that separation? Um, and, if we view all our data from the collectionist standpoint, we assume, you know, the whose data, we don't know. We just shrug our shoulders. Where did it come from? We shrug our shoulders. Um, all the individuals are, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So how do we, when it gets big enough, how do we control that? Where are the individual creators, the data targets are then just food for the collectives and yeah. Yeah, when it comes, comes to come down to the value proposition then. Yeah. What is I mean, the value to yeah, what an is, individual? Well, that there you go. But it, it, it comes back to, I think, integrity somewhat too, because I think the integral piece is, is accountable when it comes to individuals. That's their background, their history. Uh, if they say something, how, how much integrity in what they're saying is truth, you know, how believable is what they're saying from their own mind, their own experiences. Yeah. So if we lose that part of our data, what what good is the data? Do we just trust what is regardless of what is? And as you said, the pool part, <laughs> it starts to trend to less water, more other substances. <laughs> and how does that look in the future? You said 10 years. So yeah. yeah, the value of certain things and protection of that. So I, I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. Well, so, and, and another thing that really hit me was, um, been talking about cybersecurity for so long, uh, but we don't, we don't, there's no consumer market in cybersecurity. Why is that has always baffled me. Yeah. Um, and we look at that value proposition. We started alluding to the value to companies is clear. You know, the data is their wealth. 
they grow to a force big enough data where they become an economic power and the economic value continuously regenerates itself. Yeah. And then we get them into the too big to fail. So now our government doesn't want to get rid of 10,000 jobs from a big company. So they're going to make the laws to support them in opposition, feeding off of the individual data producer. So yeah. our whole system has gone towards that too big to fail. Your protection is your size. Your value is interpreted by your scale, by your ability to use it, by your ability to leverage it. Um, and the company has very defined value. People working for the company, people working for the organizations is where the value in cybersecurity. That's who our listeners have been on New Cyber Frontier. Why yeah. haven't we pulled the individuals? Because what does an individual do in this current philosophy of, of, of data and cybersecurity? Um, they influence the data pool, right? A shock yeah. and awe, awe, shock and awe culture. How yeah. can I post something more disturbing than the next person? Because yeah. positive things get 10, 10 people engaged. Something disturbing, and the more disturbing it is, the more millions of people get involved. Yeah, so it seems we don't, we're, we're supporting with the, the philosophy that we're currently in, the disinformation of data and the yeah. disinformation of the pool. And you know whoever floats the nastiest thing in that pool gets the most attention. It does seem to happen that way. <laughs> And the more people you have, the more the consensus seems to flow that direction. So Yeah. The other influence an individual has is if they are in an organization, if they are a CISO, if they are somebody who has who works in, in the cybersecurity, they're an expert for some organization. That's yeah. the other value to an individual. Um, yeah. or the individual that has value in control structure. You know, the person that gets to go to Washington DC and make the next three years worth of compliance stuff that we all start to follow before the next one comes into place. There are chosen expert. That's a valuable position oh, yeah. in cyber. It's a massive impact to the industry, right? Yeah. So what's the data for that individual who just produces data, participates in the world, uses all these services for their data in general? Zero. Why should they care? Why should they be involved? That's why we don't have a consumer market in cybersecurity. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a short break, um, and we'll be right back after we listen to our sponsors. I did that at 22 minutes. That's that's perfect. We'll just do one. So now start asking me questions about, so what is it that you're doing? How's it, you know, whatever you want to ask. All right, yeah. we'll, I'll follow your lead and just answer for the rest of the, the time for this one. And then we'll start the okay. next one. We'll say, hey, we're going to continue just at, at 30 minutes or so. Say, hey, we're going to continue this on the next show. We're going to keep talking about the philosophy and the direction for where we think the world can go. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. And today we're talking to Dr. Gorog. I know that's kind of surprising thing. Every time you probably hear it, it'll, it'll seep in there somewhere. It'll take a while. Um, before the break, we were talking uh, mainly about the value of the way data seems to be trending in the world uh, and just the philosophy behind cybersecurity in general and today's concepts. Um, and I know, uh, Dr. Gorg, you were talking about the value and the consensus of an individual or, or what you were calling the, uh, the what is it, colonists or the uh, collectionist versus the individualist. Yeah, versus the individual. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, some of these things, I, I see how the integrity of individuals that prompt, and, and like you said before the break, you were talking about the, the uh, you know, the good and the bad in such particulars. 
So your work, how does that, how do we dive into what you've been working on and the consensus of these perspectives for good and bad? Um, and where does that evolve us to in the consensus? So, yeah. so I've, I've always taken the approach, I guess, you know, almost a little bit of an anarchist of what, how can we support the individual? How does yeah. the individual have power? And when I came to that conclusion right before the break that the individual has zero and zero value, the, the value in this digital world is the power. How do we start to empower the individual? And that's what my work started with. How do we enable uh, trust in the digital world? And why did I pick trust? Because in looking at everything we can do in cybersecurity, uh, the ability to secure, the ability to protect, the ability to authenticate, the ability to do whatever, um, we know how to do those things, but now there's a million people that we have to do that for, or yeah. we could do that for, or a million people producing different things or a million people you could connect with at any given time. Who's who and what's what, which one is the bad guy, which one yeah. are the good guys, the, the ability to trust and, uh, on the, in the digit in the digital world is still undefined. We'll say at best, um, the. The, to start with, you know, my, my research looked at, well, what is trust? And so my earliest publications seven years ago were on defining what trust is and yeah. what it is that we needed to put in place to make this possible, that we could trust an individual on the other side of the world that we've never done business with out of the million other individuals that come from that same country and know which one and why we trust them. And to start identifying that trust uh, required looking at what humans, how they how they do trust. What is it that we, that is trust? And trust is really simply put, we understand how somebody's intentions are to us over time by their actions. Mm -hmm. Are they going to hold our best interest because they've proven a track record of doing that? Right. They, so it is an instance of an event done over time repeatedly that we can then judge how many times they've done, they've done it successfully and how many times they haven't. If they've done it successfully nine times out of 10, then we can have a 90% trust rating for them. Right. And we can start to evaluate transactions over time and trust. And as the human, we come from, you know, for years in the past, a hunter gatherer growing in society, there's in a tribe, People, you know, the, the research says that there's 30 jobs, an average of 30 jobs to be had in a tribal hunter-gatherer uh, society. Um, so if you in that society learned how to assess trust for 30 people, yeah. you, were, you could assess trust. And our ability to assess trust starts at that point. And we can pretty effectively assess how we trust 30 people around us. But now let's grow that to a, a city of 10,000 or 20,000, 100,000. The best people expanding that capability is, you know, cultures kind of relatively, we'll say in the timeline of human development, that's a newer concept of having that many people, right? Yeah. Um, so only the most effective people were able to expand that trust to be able to trust 400 people, or they picked people that they knew in their 30 people that also knew how to trust 30 people. And 
down, you know, it, it flows from there. I can trust 30 people that I know that they have 30 people they can trust and they know that they have 30 people they can trust and it grows from there. Yeah. So either you assess the trust with large individ large numbers of people, or you learn to delegate trust. Um, yeah. and, trust right? But in general, I went through that to explain it. Now we're in the last 50 years, we've added, and it's shorter than that, 20 years, we've added the connection from, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand people to just everybody in the world. Yeah. And we haven't, humans could never make that leap. We just can't do it. Yeah. We have to have a technology approach to do the things that we did as humans in trust. And that's what my dissertation, my work set out to do is determine how we could introduce that and give that type of technology structure to the world. Yeah. And you talked about the trust part of it. I guess, how does that imply to a cybersecurity professional um, and the mechanism you're using in here with your the work you've done? And how does that contribute to the way the cybersecurity professional, its outcome of how it might influence it? Yeah. So uh, the typical cybersecurity professional, as we was talking about earlier, is working for an organization, working for right. an entity. Yeah. Their, their trust and the tools they implement to trust their users do authentication. Their tools to trust their data do, you know, uh, database monitoring and integrity monitoring, right? Their yeah. tools to trust their communication do encryption. Their tools to trust that that, that privacy and integ you know integrity of of who's viewed what are their encrypted data at rest. We right. you know, we have the tools to do this if we have the organizational bounds. Now let's shrink that organization to one, and everybody in the world is their own organization of one. We need tools that scale that far. Right. So the cybersecurity professional has these tools and there's hundreds of them for each company. And that's actually probably one of the biggest problems is the sheer number of tools you would yeah. have to learn and use. And then every one of them is purchased by a different company and every one of them, uh, they don't work together. They, and some no. of them overlap, some of them conflict, some of them negate others. Yeah. And, and you're in, you're in a mess of, you, you things that you you have a hard time even controlling. Now you're as a cybersecurity professional, you have to understand which tools I can trust and which yeah. ones work together and which ones work for me and then how I trust them. And you're not you, you almost drop the human aspect from it where you're looking at data and tools. Yeah, that's true. And the data the data that it implements, uh, the amount it absorbs or collects, is also a factor um, when it comes to these tools too. It consumes uh, the cybersecurity professional such in a way that it's almost impossible to to really define reporting um, and, and see trending, although it's there. So it does imply the idea that something smart has to evolve with the tool because there's mass loads of data now consumed by the tool to try to predict specific things. They've gotten smart about it, um, but there still needs to be the integrity, the value of, of the of the person. Uh, and the value of, of individual data sources that come into flow of this and, and the type of integrity, how do you proof it, uh, things of that nature. Um, we're kind of at the end of our time, Dr. Gorog, um, but we'll continue and I guess we're going to do a couple of these. This is more like a series uh, to kind of work through some of the dissertation pieces that you've evolved um, over the last seven years. So uh, I'm sure we have plenty more questions. Uh, for now, we're going to have to 
kind of pause for now to the next round, next podcast, and um, come back for last more words, later. Well, getting last words, Doctor Korok. No, I, I, I would say that you know the 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 in in where we kind of are are closing off here and in, in looking at at trust. Um, I think it's a good segue into, you know, what is now disruptive and what makes the next generation of security work? What, where are we going to focus next? And I think we have some good, you know, not the ultimate answer to that, but here's the direction that, uh, that y'all need to consider and looking moving forward and yeah, no we'll cover more here in the future. Yeah, I think it's explosives in some ways and something's needed. So, and we, yeah, we'll definitely get into that more on the next couple of rounds. This should be, this should be a good series. I mean, you got plenty, 400 plus paper pages there to go through. We got, we got plenty of, of, of resources to talk about this stuff. So, okay. All right. Well, thank you for being on Dr. Gorog and sharing your um, dissertation with us. And then uh, we'll continue the, the uh, questions and the, the dynamics and the uh, investigation on this stuff later in another podcast. So, um, uh, I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and that's it for us today in the Cyber Frontier. We hope you guys stay safe, and I know it's close to the holidays this time, so I hope you get time with your family. So, everyone, have a good day. Bye. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, 